reading today comes the, from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. I invite you to turn there either in a pew Bible or in a Bible app. The words will indeed be on the screen. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I do send it out always at the end of the week to make sure you can read ahead. And when you do that, I always encourage you to read around it as well. Because if I write you a letter and you only read one paragraph in the middle, I find that a little bit offensive, right? Paul might as well. He writes you a letter. Read the whole thing. They're not that long, most of them. Just get some context. 1 Timothy 3. And I'll read the first 13. You know, I say that, and then I just read one paragraph of his letter, so. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Oops, I jumped by my title. A Noble Task, that was the title, you saw it. Uh, today we're going to be installing new office bearers, and um, as we do so, the sermon is part of the installation, all right? So for those of you who understand that language, this is the form, I'm starting right now. I'm going to preach through all the information around what does it mean to be a elder and a deacon, and we're gonna think about that and talk about that, and then in response to that, we are going to call forward our new office bearers, all right? So you may know that Jesus often says, and as, as recorded in the, in the uh, Gospels, very truly I say to you, or in an earlier version, truly, truly I say to you, or an even older version, verily, verily I say to you. Paul has the same kind of a language going here. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. Here's a trustworthy saying. He says that throughout these letters. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Right? And noble there, I looked it up to seeing what they exactly meant by that, and it's basically, it's, it's a good job. It's a good task. It's something that requires your, um, your attention and your opportunity. So what does that noble task look like? 
And my question for you here, is there any surprises in here, right? Are there any things on this list where you go, that shouldn't be in there? I'm amazed that's in there. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Any surprises? No. It's a good list, right? You can live with this. Seems to be the kind of thing that says this should be a person who we would respect and has integrity and lives in a way that is suitable to leadership. Now, don't be surprised. I have a few questions. First one, is this only for married men with kids? Because it says faithful to his wife, even though it later talks about women or deaconesses, and he must manage his own family and well and see that his children obey him. So I'm just going to name this difficult reality, right? So here in this church, we ordain women in leadership. And you probably know that there's plenty of churches with a similar name to ours that do not do that, right? And this is one of those, well, let me first say it this way. This is one of those caring encounters or challenging conversations that we've been talking about that we have collectively not handled that well, right? Because we have split churches over this conversation. And let's be honest, every time we split churches and disfellowship from other people who are also followers of Christ, that's a problem, right? That means we made some sort of mistake that sent us apart. So Paul actually, in the previous chapter, that's why I encourage you to read the whole letter, says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Well, that seems like a slam dunk. We're wrong. We shouldn't be putting women in leadership, right? But these sometimes difficult passage, because if you read that whole passage, it has a whole bunch more very difficult things in it. It says this, which I've never heard anybody really fully understand. A woman is saved through childbirth. Please explain that one to me if you fully understand exactly what that means. Paul is making some sort of Jewish rabbi argument, because that's what he was, right? Paul himself, actually, if you look at the end of Romans, he thanks all of his women who are in leadership with him, very specifically. Right? So he, in some places, seems to be totally fine with women in leadership. And in Ephesus, where he's writing to Timothy right here, he's definitely not. So my conclusion, and you don't have to agree with that part of it, my conclusion is that in Ephesus, Paul saw the culture. Let me explain that culture. Artemis of the Ephesians was their great god. She was a female god, basically of feminism would be today's word for it. Right? And the whole Ephesian culture was built around women um, priestesses. Right? And so as they came to the church, I think what was probably happening was they were taking on a power above and beyond what was, um, what was appropriate for the context of, of the church. Right? And so Paul said, seems, in this context, I do not permit women to teach. In Rome, apparently, he did because he thanked his female leaders there. Now, these are always difficult things because every time we read somebody else's mail, which is what the letter to Timothy is, it's Paul talking to Timothy, we're reading his mail, we have to go, which of those things do we say, yeah, that's, that's forever, that's always. And which of those things do we say, huh, how does that work for us, right? So think about this part of it. We often talk about our culture. We sometimes think that we as church are supposed to be separate from the culture in which we live. I don't know how we can do that, to be honest with you. We are Canadian people following Jesus. We must be in culture, right? You have no choice. Jesus was in his culture. That's why we read the Bible and interpret it the way we do. Paul was in his culture. We are in our culture, 
right? We can't be separate from them and pretend we're completely different. So my understanding of Paul talking specifically to one place and us understanding our culture leads me to believe we need to have women in leadership in this context. Because in this world, if you say women aren't equal to men in leadership ability, you are not going to be able to connect with the world in which we live. Now, someone else may say, and granted, it's okay if you want to say this, someone else may say, no, if we are going to really speak into this culture, we need to show them that only men should be in leadership. That's an understandable way of understanding this. But as you've noted, I don't think that. This community as a whole has not leaned into that. We have believed and grabbed onto men and women equally created by God, have different kinds of gifts and abilities, right, but are all called to leadership when they are called. All right? That's the first part of that one. And he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, which seems to assume that the elder already has children, right? And we need to really wrestle with someone. Because remember about a year ago, I preached about singleness. And those who were single really thanked me for that because it's easy to get missed in the church if you're single, right? Even when you get married, you're still somewhat missed until suddenly you have children and then you go to the nursery and suddenly everybody knows you, right? I'm maybe overstating it, but I'm not too far overstating it. There's a dynamic here that we need to understand that what Paul is talking about, if we take this as our marching orders, then we're doing it fine. We can just ignore those people until they have kids. But we know that's not right. Your gut tells you, right? That what he's saying is, if you have children, make sure you are leading appropriately in your home, right? But he's not demanding that you be either married or male or have those things. But if you do have those things, whatever you have, whoever you are, do it well and with integrity, all right? And yes, I'm available for questions afterwards if you have any questions about those things, always. So... I wanted to make it a three-point sermon, but I had four points, so I made a 1B. <laughs> Which is my question, how good do my kids have to be? <laughs> so, if you do have children, and it says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Well, you guys don't know my kids because they didn't move here with us. My kids are perfect, so I'm not worried about me, I'm talking about other people. <laughs> No, as we think about this, right, there has been historically, I think I can name this, a lot of pressure on preacher's kids to be good enough so that their father, in most cases, doesn't look bad. And that translates to the rest of us is, is you know, we somehow want our kill, children to behave in a certain way so it doesn't reflect on us. Please be incredibly careful with that kind of thinking. Do not put the pressure on your children to hold up your integrity for you. I think integrity looks like this. If my children misbehave because they're children, because that's what children do once in a while, they're trying to figure out life, right? My integrity shows in how comfortable I am with the fact that my children misbehave because they're children, right? Probably not said on that. You know that, right? Otherwise, I can set you up with somebody to help you a little further. Second question, or third, is this one shaped by circumstance? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So Paul here is saying, we're not going to put somebody brand new to the faith in leadership. And in his context, that makes lots of sense because they were coming out of a culture that didn't have Christian influence on it for very long because Christianity just started. 
right? I don't know how you look at Canadian culture, but there's a lot of structure to our world that still understands Christian um, systems and, and basic understandings. So even if somebody comes here and they're pretty new to the faith or pretty new to this church, chances are they actually understand the basics of how the faith works and they've lived in this culture that is at least somewhat shaped by Christianity, right? So it's a little different culture. Not only that, but if you think through the last 70 people, if you can think that long, who've stood in office in this church as deacons or elders or pastors, most of them have been lifelong Christians of this community, right, of this denomination. I wonder, it's just an out loud wondering, wouldn't it be actually incredibly helpful for this church if we had a new convert on council? Because with 16 people there who've been a long time in the faith all their lives, having one person there who goes, you know, if somebody knew the church, I got this question, and we would have gone, oh, I never thought of that, right? So in my experience, if your majority is people who are lifers, which is a good thing, bringing in somebody who is newer, right, that might be a circumstance for us here anyways, that would be useful, right? So just pointing out again, we listen to these things, we get the basic point, it's have integrity, have good, strong leadership, but sometimes thinking, yeah, is that a rule? Or is that something that we need to consider and wonder about what's best for us as Mountain View to move forward? All right. So how do we measure this? These are all the words we agreed on, above reproach, worthy of full respect, having a good reputation with outsiders. We should probably have a scorecard system, right? Where everybody gets to sign off on the person sitting beside them. Six, five, eight, three, right? How do we, how do we measure this? Well, we have just done it, right? When you vote and affirm the office bears that the council puts forward, you're measuring these kinds of things. And you may not have read the whole list, but you, you have a sense yeah, that's probably somebody who can do this, right? And, and just a brief comment on, on that, because I don't know if you all know this, but we're a large church. Everybody know that? Put up your hand if you know we're a large church. Seriously, put up your hand if you know we're a large, not, see, I knew it. Not many of you know we're a large church. And in a large church, you can't have a personal name-to-name -name relationship with all the people, not even all the office bearers. All right, so we have a bit of a, a challenge there, because I understand, I totally get that understanding. I'm saying yes to people, and I'm not even sure who they are other than, yeah, I like that name. Mike Bob's a nice name, so I'll say yes to him. That's not a reason. I want to know that person. So think about this, and again, this is, this, is, this is Eric's interpretation. Council hasn't approved this way of thinking about it, but I want you to think about this, and we have all the way till next year until we do it again. What if we think this way? We trust the council that we've given, no, that we have, I hope, right? So you trust those people. They're vetting the people who are being put before you, and probably you know some of them. So think of it as your duty that if you look at those names and there's nobody on there where you go, wait a minute, I got a question about that person, then check them off. If there's anybody about whom you have any questions saying, I'm not sure their integrity is up to snuff that, that we would like them to be one of our leaders, then you will, sure, first you should tell somebody, and then secondly, you should Check no, right? So I'm wondering, is it okay in our circumstance, in a large church like this, to do a little more trusting that somebody's watching that 
I can't watch everything. If you disagree with that, we'll find another approach, but I just wanted to suggest that as a way of thinking about um, affirming office bears in a large church. We are a large church, right? I'm going to write a blog this week about what happens in a large church, just to help you all out with that. Because some of you didn't put up your hands, so you don't know we're a large church. Now, this is powerful Paul talking to timid Timothy. And I say it that way because, well, if you've read Paul, you know he's powerful, right? This, this guy was a, a gangbuster um, church planter all over the known world planting churches, not just two or three in a career, right? He would sometimes seem to do two or three in a month, right? Amazing stuff. And Timothy is described as this poor, young guy who came from an outsider. Um, he had a mom, his dad's not mentioned, so we're wondering if he was even born out of wedlock, all these kinds of things, right? So Timothy comes into this as, as a timid person. In fact, in one of these letters, second letter, Paul writes to him and says, have the gift of God's power upon you. Do not be timid, he says. So, Paul says this to him. Here's a trustworthy saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, in Paul language, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So, when we install new office bears, when we put people in leadership, we go to this list, and that's fine, that says this is what integrity looks like. But remember that the list was written by a guy who says about himself, I am the worst of all sinners. I find it incredibly striking that he doesn't even say, I was the worst of all sinners until I met Jesus, right? Paul says, I am the worst of all sinners. And so he's not coming at this and going, all right, if you're not as good as me, you can't be in leadership, right? He's saying, I'm the worst of all sinners, and this is the high level of leadership that we're looking for. He says both of those things at the same time. Take note of that and then look at what he says next. Very next verses. But for that very reason, because I was the worst of all sinners, or am, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, there it is again, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Let me translate that into our reality. If you are taking a role of leadership, it could be elder or deacon here today, or any other role of leadership with people in the community of faith, teaching, guiding, counseling, whatever it is that you do. Your calling is your story. Your calling is your story. Your task is to recognize, yeah, I came through a whole journey of growing, and in that process, the grace of Jesus Christ has transformed me and has helped me and telling those stories is the most helpful thing you can do for other people. Reading people a list of things and saying, you know, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, not so helpful. Saying, you know what? I feel your struggle. Mine's a little different. This is what I did. Let me tell you my story. This is what I did. And as you tell that story, they go, oh, this is a person on the same journey as me. If you pretend you got it all together, if you think you're nailing it on everything on that list, you're probably going to end up not being very helpful for most people. Because you go, I don't understand this person, right? So, I, um, I as a pastor, experienced what I would call halo effect. You all think I have a halo until you meet me, of course. Ruthann laughs when I say that, and that's great. <laughs> right? So that people 
People assume a lot of things about what I think, what I believe, what I do, who I am, and, and particularly how good I am, right? Now, I'm reasonably good. Let's just go with at least that much. But the most helpful thing I ever do with people is say, well, I know what you're going through. Let me, let me walk with you on that one. I get that. I understand that. That's a challenge, isn't it? I can feel that one with you, right? We don't do any of these things because we're better than other people. We do all of these things because Christ Jesus is at work with his grace in our lives. Tell that story. That is your leadership secret. Carts and horses. You always got to remember which one goes first. Chickens and eggs, you never know, right? But carts and horses, you should know which one goes first. If you don't, it's the horse. Those, don't say I didn't teach you anything. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing. Those who have served well, huh, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So here Paul is saying, if you're going to be an overseer or a deacon, is language he uses, right? Make sure you fit the bill in integrity. But right after that, this is after that, this is the last verse I read, this is how it really works is what he's saying. When you're done, when you serve the best you can with whatever messy stuff you started with and you worked on some of that along the way, you actually walk away with the very reputation we were looking for when you started, right? There's some irony in what's going on here. We're looking for the best people to lead. Of course we are. We always are. We don't have any of those. We're going to put up with whoever we get, right? And then we're going to expect that as they go on this journey, as I go on this journey, I'm going to grow and we're going to grow. And in the end, that's what will actually be your reputation, that you served well, right? So when we're looking for new people to take these roles, what's our default? Oh, that person did it before and they did it well, right? It's very understandable. It doesn't help you grow younger because they seem to keep getting older every year. Anyone who's not doing that, please come see me. That'd be really helpful, right? But we need to understand that that reputation comes through serving and through the process. And then the final word, not the final slide, though, so don't get too excited. The final word, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Isn't that lovely? So we thought when we started, I read you the list, if you just have all these things, you've nailed godliness. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, I know the list. It's not that complicated. We agree with it. But beyond all question, this is the thing you really need to hang on to. The mystery about true godliness is great. And then he gives it. Thank you, Paul. This is the answer to the mystery. He, Jesus, appeared in the flesh. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus was seen by angels. Jesus was preached among the nations. This is a hymn, by the way. Jesus was believed on in the world. Jesus was taken up into glory. The secret to your integrity and leadership, your integrity as a Christian in this world, is Jesus. Is Jesus. The danger of us listing this list first and saying, kind of try and live up to the integrity level, is that you're going to try and live up to the integrity level on your own. The secret, the mystery is that it's through Jesus, through your humility, through your honest confession of where you fall short. It's your dependence on God that gives you the actual authority and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Depend on him. Let us pray. Jesus, as we live before you in whatever 
calling of leadership in whatever role you send us, we pray that you would continue to guide us and shape us, that you'd bring us to places where we see that you have already been at work in our lives and we would share those stories and that you'd make us honest and vulnerable and real and authentic about the places that we're still on that journey. Lord Jesus, meet us and help us, we pray in your holy name. Amen.